creative company is so delicious, and the creative process is one of my favorite subjects. How humans can create something out of nothing is wildly exciting to me. And one of the best ways I love to spend my time is writing and recording my songs. Alison Lassance is an extraordinary keyboard player. She's also a Boston Music Awards winner. She's the co-founder of Love Dogs, and she was part of that amazing band called Girls Night Out. She's played on my album, Night Vision. She does clinics, concerts, tours. She's played with so many people, done so many gigs. Still gigging, still writing, still performing, still sharing what she loves. This is what a life in music looks like. She's done tons of gigs. She teaches harmony at Berklee College of Music, and she is a supersonic musician and my friend. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Ali Baba Rama. Yes, Ali in the Zonia. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Allison, it's great to see you. Thanks for popping on this thing. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so great to see you. Oh my gosh. Oh, Great to see you too. Great. So, how's your cool creative self? Oh, we we weave in and out of different modes on a regular we basis. We do. And we try to keep up with ourselves, and that sometimes is a positive thing, and sometimes not necessarily, or not even a judgment thing. It's just it is what it is, and you know, being able to stay with that is super important. Yeah. Tell me about that. How loud your critic is in your head. Yeah, they look like little crabs there. <laughs> they eat away. Just just being a human, like it, it's not even just being a musician or a creative person doing creative things, even though every human is creative. It's like there's still a critic. There's still an inner critic and a Oh, a big outer cricket critic now with all the social media and it's a little insane. Cricket critics. <laughs> right. Well, have, cricket you that, <laughs> have, you, have you heard that quote about, um, you know, if they're not in the arena, like my dad used to always say, consider, consider the source, you know, when someone has something to say, because very often it's not a musician throwing darts. It's certainly not somebody who also plays keyboards as well as you do throwing the darts. So it's somebody who's really giving you more of their own self portrait <laughs> in the moment. Right. Projection balance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's, um, lack I, of remember, <laughs> I had, I, I've had, you know, it's interesting how we have different catharsis at different points in our lives and certain, you know, certain things that happened in life stick and certain things don't. And, and one of the things that I think kind of maybe almost started me on my own individual creative journey was, it was a result of a turmoil that was happening in my life and my family around me, things I had absolutely no control over. Sure. And, and, and how and, old were you? Oh, gosh. The worst time of life, uh, starting at age 13, 13 to <laughs> probably to 18. But it, it just, you know, if we are sensitive, and we are often sensitive because we're confronted with things that create a need to know how the outside world is doing, so, you know, I've been, I've read a lot about empathy and, and how it's mm. a result of 
being in a position where you you don't feel safe essentially anyway i digress <laughs> that's good stuff though yeah it, it 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 keeps me it keeps me just teetering on the edge as opposed to falling off <laughs> but i i came up with this idea because i used to journal a lot and journaling was very um therapeutic for me i didn't realize it at the time but it was it helped me get through a lot of stuff and i remember thinking why should i worry so much about what other people think if they don't if they don't think <laughs> <laughs> they don't worry about what other people think uh -oh. <laughs> why should i worry so much about what other people think if they don't and if they don't think that's funny <laughs> it was like a sign i saw in the supermarket once that said if you don't see it ask and the friend i was with said can i see it <laughs> that's pretty great <laughs> <laughs> that's good too <laughs> so okay so if if you're if they're not worrying about what what you think you mean yeah. why should you worry about what they think right yeah and, and it took me i'm still working on that but um i was probably i kind of even remember where i was walking in brooklyn mm. I just I have this snapshot, you know. We have snapshots of different yeah. moments, you know. And, and music is is very powerful for bringing those to the surface, as well as other triggers. Like I, I remember reading a, a list of of of, this, of um, different memory triggers, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What brings and what were at the top? Music and smells were like two of the biggest ones. Sure that just fill you with something, whatever it is. An imprint, uh, yeah. a, a capture, a moment, like a, like a photograph that just right. stay with you. Yeah. 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 And, and physical things like that. It stays in your body. Oh, yes. You know, like yes. I remember being in the supermarket checkout line and I happened to tie the wrist ties around my winter jacket too tight as I was getting ready to go outside. And all of a sudden I was back as a toddler being jerked around and held too tight and squishing of my wrists and hurting me. And I went, Oh my God. Like it was just a, a flash of a memory and a flashback of this sucks. <laughs> right. I, I need well, my own place. <laughs> right. And that's, that's what trauma is all about. And yeah. And there's so many levels of trauma. I mean, the level of trauma of like you bite your fingernail too deep and it bleeds, that's trauma. <laughs> you know, to, to, some, to something really horrific happening to you and how you deal with that, you know. But, yeah. but being, I think it's really, for me, I don't know, creativity is something that sort of abounds all aspects of life. I. I worked with a, an improvisational actress for a number of years and being her um, sort of her muse in a sense, but not, yes, but not. Um, I would accompany her during one person performances. Oh, and cool. it, that was very pivotal for me in terms of finding the well to draw from my own music because there was no script and there was no score sure we had a few points where i would do a song you know that we had planned we had a couple of things but i'd say 95 percent of it was 
okay, I have no idea what's happening. And so I had to focus, you know, logically on what was happening, but at the same time draw from my creative reserves. And it really, and sometimes yeah. there was nothing there. Sometimes the well was dry. And I was like, okay, well, how can I be okay with that? Mm, sure. Something to the table. Well, how old were you and how did you get this gig? Why did this, how did this come about? Oh, um, when did I do this? Oh, so I'm bad with dates. It was in the eight, no, the nineties. It's in the nineties. So I, I, I don't know. I was two. <laughs> did the artist approach you, or, or did you approach her? Um, I don't remember how we met. And 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 uh, what was her thing? How did she even invite you to do it? That you said yes. What was the she intrigue? Said for you? She she was looking for someone to. Oh my God, the first, wow, I think one of our first performances was out at Kripalu in oh, Western cool. Mass. At, um, it's, a, it's a yoga, it's a center for yoga and health. Yeah. And I'd never been there before. And that was in early 90s. Mm -hmm. We met and we were very connected. I guess she was auditioning different people. And so we have the same birthday different year but same birthday and um cool she's an, an amazing artist like uh, theatrical right and she would have all these different outfits that she would wear wait someone's coming to visit here <laughs> and i have two upstairs you have a kitty i have two kitties nice i used to have two cats now i have two dachshunds <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> they're fabulous. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they were going to come down and be with us or not, but it's pouring, so they're on the couch. That's a good place to be. Yeah, first few hours in the morning are nice because I can get a lot done. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. anyway. So she so was like a creative performing artist in like uh, modern dance. Um, yeah. Well, she she did movement and she did some dancing, but she's more just a lot of verbiage and just amazing. Her name's Diana Giardella. She's she's just an incredible image visionary. I don't know how else to say it. And we yeah. did a number of different shows. Cool. We did this one show at Kripalu, which was really powerful. And that was my first experience. Hmm? You were on electric piano? Um, and synthesizer. Sweet. So I would use a lot of different things. At one point I had a K uh, Kurzweil K2000, which is a, which is a, was a sampler. And yeah. I had like motorcycle sounds and telephones <laughs> ringing. And like, I would call, that was one of the fun things that we did. Like I would have to decide a good time for, and it would be like one of the, <laughs> One of the um, shows was called Yes to Everything. Oh, wow. And we did um, a run of that in Central Square at the Dance Complex. They had a really nice performance space there. And so we, we did that there. And nice. it was, the set was, she was a single woman living in an apartment, and the set was her apartment. So having the phone ring was... And sometimes she would ignore it. And sometimes it <laughs> depends. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. And she didn't know when I was going to call, you know. So yeah. the, it was essentially two and a half hours of full focus. Not like when you're playing music where you, you know, there's parts of 
tunes where you just kind of you're floating along with it you know and you're playing and yeah you know it's not like that at all so it's a visual audio dual improvisational let's just see what happens collaboration yeah i mean she kind of she kind of drove the bus yeah but there were times when i would take the reins it, it was very it was really so that was a very different kind of thing but you started off with organ lessons piano lessons what what age were you for all that i was three when i had a dream of playing the harp because <laughs> i must have seen somebody a, a woman uh, i think i have a very deep image i don't know what my memory has done to alter this whether this was real or in my imagination but it doesn't really matter um a woman wearing a long satin gown like someone from the marx brothers or something like very old <laughs> Um, long flowing hair sitting at the harp and that just that was an image and I don't know I must have said some I don't know if I don't know how it happened but when I was five years old I was I came home and there was an old upright Armstrong piano and we had a little we had like a it sounds fancy but it was kind of a modest duplex penthouse but it was it was an apartment at the top of a building and had a room on an upper floor that had one room and a bathroom and the piano was there and so the piano wasn't there before you just came home you're five years old and the piano's there i I think so i mean i don't really recall but i i I remember thinking it was very at some point I was remembering it was saying it was very strange that the piano cost $25, but it cost $75 to move it in. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't make any sense to me at the time. <laughs> well, that's the typical thing they say about musicians, right? You've got a $500 car filled with $4,000 worth of equipment to go make $50 at a gig. <laughs> and what's the difference between a pepperoni pizza and a musician? <laughs> I don't pepperoni know. pizza can actually feed a family of four. Oh. <laughs> oh god that's great <laughs> you don't want to go down that rabbit hole at the moment no you don't because i can remember saying to you oh i'm just loving doing what i'm doing and i can't wait i think i even want to be a musician in my next life and you said oh no no and i wanted to ask you why did you say no was it because of the money <laughs> i don't know what mode i was in i don't recall could have been oh, anything <laughs> So there's an Armstrong piano, and then you started taking lessons. I started taking lessons. I think my first teacher's name was Miss Peacock. That didn't last very long. My (laughs) biggest memory about that experience was having my music book in the car, and I was eating a Swiss cheese sandwich, and I got some grease from the Swiss cheese on the book, and I was all upset. Yeah. (laughs) That's... (laughs) And then my parents found this other teacher, Name Mr. Davis. We lived in New York City. And my mother, we lived um, in Inwood, which is way uptown Manhattan. And um, my mother would drive me down to my lessons. I don't remember where Miss Peacock was, but I do remember Mr. Davis lived on the Upper West Side and with his family. And his wife was a violin teacher, and she was always in the other room. I could kind of hear her playing, and he had little kids running around. Hmm. He was kind of this eccentric guy who um for some reason didn't want to teach me about rhythmic stresses so he 
he found he thought I was extremely talented and had me featured in a recital that he did at a place called Judson Hall in New York City, and where wow. I played the first, um, I think it was like the first movement of Mozart's Third Sonata when I was seven, but I didn't play it correctly. <laughs> didn't know what a time signature was. Yeah, yeah. So all the it it. it I don't know. I don't know what his deal was. His deal was to, you know, you know, get him out there and and <laughs> not interrupt your uh, pleasure too soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. You know, I was a little kid, and and I think I really enjoyed playing. But there was a point where Allison, you have to practice, and I had resistance to that. Yeah, maybe that you might. I don't really remember the early, early times. Yeah. But uh, it was classical. Oh, yes. The classical oh, yeah. beginning. And I thought that was pretty standard for most piano players, but uh, it wasn't for Susanna Sifter. I was just talking to her the other day. Oh, interesting. And, and I thought, if it isn't, what are they teaching you? They're certainly not teaching you jazz, probably. So it was just like, here's music. This is the piano. This is how the notes work. This is rhythm. This is harmony. Here's some basic oh, wow. chords. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought it was pretty standard with classical. And, you know, with guitar, it was all classical for the longest time. And Berkeley was the only college I knew of that I could attend that was contemporary. A whole different bag. But um, So you were starting pretty early on with, I want to do my own thing. I guess. I mean, nobody in my family played music. Did you make up any stuff? Like you were making up your own melodies and things. And so you didn't want to practice the book stuff. You wanted to keep making things up. Um, no, I was a good girl. I practiced. <laughs> I wrote one song. It's called Tell Me What I Said. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's the only one I remember. My people have told me that I used to sit down and play stuff, but I don't recall. Nice. I, I don't recall. Uh, well, even if they had films of us when we were that age, they wouldn't have had sound. <laughs> right. I, I have films, but no sound. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if there's anything of me playing piano. But I picked up the guitar when I was about eight. Um, oh, that's great. Are you still playing guitar? I didn't realize you I were. have been. I've had a little resurgence. I sold my Ovation and my that's um, great. boutique guitar I had because I didn't like either. And then I picked up recently, I bought a, a kind of parlor-sized guitar. Acoustic. I had a dreadnought. Yeah, acoustic. Yeah, I like parlor size. Um, it's a breed love, and it's a beautiful little thing. Here, I'll show it to you. Yeah, show us. Love it. It's really pretty. Oh, nice. It's got a cutaway and everything. Yeah, it's got a short scale neck. Beautiful. Which, um, yeah, I, I liked it. I, you know, guitars. Anything made of wood has a soul, as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah. Anything made of natural product, as opposed to like modern keyboards, which <laughs> no, this is my 1933 Steinway. Wow. We know any any of its history? No, not really. Some. Uh, some How long have you had it? Hmm? How long have you had it? About fifteen years, maybe 10, yeah. 10 to fifteen years. Um, it's an M, so it's a five eight, and um, I got it from my piano tuner at the time, my technician. Um, he had a workshop, and I went in there with a blindfold and and went around to different pianos because I didn't want to be lured by a pretty face. 
Good for you. Yeah, and just went over and just played, and this instrument just kept came, coming back to me. And um, between 10 and 15 years. That's awesome. Yeah, more than that. More than when my great aunt died, about 15 years ago. Yeah, she left me some money, and it paid for the piano, so she bought it for me. Oh, that's awesome. Which was great. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it needs. We need to get some plastic surgery done. It needs. It needs some rebuilding. Hmm. It's still quite beautiful. It's got original ivory keys that are in very good shape. It was. Re, it had been restrung. I think a family had it for years. That's what um, oh, Chris sure. told me. And Many families probably. <laughs> Many right. families. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it lived in one place for a while, but it, it, it has a little bit of, um, it's got a few battle scars here and there. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. You know? So you've probably uh, felt very inspired by this instrument and, and written many songs on here. Yeah, I've done, all, especially during COVID, I um, yeah got, we got a little more connected. So when you get into writing, what happens? I mean, do you do you have to, have your favorite pencil and favorite music or cup of something to drink or do you have to turn it on in any way or does is it always there you can just compose at any time well i can sit down and play anything i mean but when you really feel inspired down. do you remember how you feel is there a different feeling when you feel inspired or well there's two i feel like i've got several different modes yeah, tell us about I've got that. my singer songwriter mode. Yeah. Because I came to singing later than most, like in my 20s. Yeah. So I, 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 rem I remember when I was at Berkeley, I remember feeling. As a student. Yes, as a student. I went there from 1975 to 1979. Those dates, I remember. Oh, well, we overlapped one year. Oh, wow. I started. In, I was a student from 78 to 82. I yeah. didn't know you then, but I knew you in Girls' Night Out, but we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Um, I used to write a lot of prose, and I have journals that I used to write, and I wrote some poetry. And I remember feeling, you know, when I was a student at Berkeley, it was a little odd. I had my writing thing, and then I had my music thing. Mm. And music, I mean, the first song I ever wrote, like a real song, I think I had just either, I was still at Berkeley or I would just gotten out. I wrote pieces. I wrote instrumental pieces while I was a student. And I still do write instrumentals. I'm not very prolific, though. I don't write all the time. I, I, I kind of, I sort of see it as my hobby. Nice. You know, it's it's something I do when it when it strikes me, when the muse hits, you know. Yeah. And I That's can get inspired by different there's different things that inspire me. Oh yeah. And and I think humans use creativity for everything, so <laughs> I went to um in terms of instrumental music, I um in twenty fourteen I went back to Kripalu where I've been many times because that's um, I went and got certified to teach yoga at oh wow at Kripalu I went and lived there for four weeks cool did a full immersion six days a week wow it was very powerful and I brought my keyboard and I got my own room and the first piece that I wrote the first day I was there is I 
I actually want to, I want to produce it. It's, I think yeah. it, it really, it, it, the energy of where I was and where my mind was at, it took me so long to prepare myself to free my schedule for a month so I could just do that. And there I was, and it was the first night and I just sat down at the keyboard and closed my eyes. And there's such a meditative vibe out there that I just went inside and this piece came out and I crafted it for a while. I, you know, sometimes I, I look at, at pieces of music kind of like, you know, giving birth, you know, <laughs> sometimes there's no labor and sometimes it goes on for a long time. It's true. So how long it takes to create something is not necessarily, it's not indicative of anything about the piece necessarily. No. no. It has to be a complex thing that takes a longer period of time or whatever. It's also not a judgment on your receptivity to the muse either, because sometimes we haven't even experienced enough to write the bridge, you know, and then all of a sudden something else happens a few years later and you go, now I know what I should write in that bridge. <laughs> yeah, that's one way, right? Yeah. But with, with with instrumental music, it's um, especially something that's somewhat repetitive. And this is a fairly accessible consonant piece. It really, it's just a matter of how to orchestrate it. And I've been sort of crafting that now for oh, eleven years, no, nine years. I'm still it's in my head. I can play it on the piano and yeah, several sections. But yeah, I mean different things. You know, I wrote this, the first song I wrote with lyrics was when I was still at Berkeley. It was called, You See, I Live Alone. And I wasn't living alone. <laughs> and so sometimes, you know, things are autobiographical and sometimes they're not. No, right. I've written songs inspired by newspaper articles. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's cool. I've written songs. And then, then there's the, the prophecy songs where... Usually, like love related, where you write something like, Why am I writing this? And two years later, aha, <laughs> that's why I wrote this. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Like different things. It's just, and I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a process where I think you can kind of free your mind and just do sort of like what Paul McCartney <laughs> did, <laughs> what the Beatles did. And, I, you know, you could really see it in that series, Get Back. I'm yes. sure you've seen that. We're, I mean, in, in that at that phase of the Beatles, Paul's kind of the engine of a lot, and he's sitting at the piano and he's not caring whether he's sounding silly or not, you know. And so I've really, I oh, think, I've taken that to heart and just whatever, yeah. you know. As getting back to the beginning of our conversation, like putting the critic aside, yeah, and mucking about, giving yourself permission to just explore. Right, and be a, basically be a kid because and until yeah. you develop enough of a superego. Well, yeah, it's like I'm always telling my students, can you remember when you were three or four years old, if somebody took you to, you know, that giant toy store, something Schwartz, H-R-O. Oh, F-A-O, Schwartz. There it is, F-A-O. If somebody took you to that store or filled a room full of toys, top to bottom, and just let you in there at three or four years old, did you think you'd turn around and say, so how do I go about playing with any of these? Do you have a manual? I would like to read the directions on how to put these blocks together. And I really need to take some lessons about how to play with that train. And um, who should I study with if I want to go 
play with that swing set. It'd be like, are you out of your mind? You would have ran in there, touched everything, played everything, broke something, jumped on something. You would have just eaten it up and they would have been able, they wouldn't have been able to drag you out of there. So why do we put this thing in there? Like, why are we told so much to halt everything and not go after things in a very, you know, a natural way? Fear, yeah. yeah. And where does the fear come from? All right, well, those stupid grades and all those teachers and all these people telling us how to live and there's this right and wrong. And really there isn't, there's just, you're regulated or you're not regulated and you can't be a, indecent human being we're trying to teach you how to be a decent human being and function as a whole like be part of the traffic don't be a problem in the traffic everybody moves together but it we take it to the extremes so then we think there's this almighty something right or wrong in the sky somewhere that knows that you know we're not doing anything correctly uh we must have written it wrong it's a it's a wrong way to write a song or whatever and there is no right or wrong it's all taste and that whole experimentation and ease goes out the window. And I've had so many people say to me about that Paul scene where he just goes in, he goes, we need one more song. And he goes in and they sort of brush through probably how long it actually took. But he starts writing Get Back right on camera. And it's brilliant. And most people say, how in the world is he doing that? I thought, are you nuts? That's how all of us musicians do it. You know, they don't realize we're all the same. Any human being would do it that way if they had an inclination to go write a song. If they felt that they had permission. Exactly. And I'm always coming back on all of these episodes talking about artistic self-permission because that's what Paul has in droves. Right. Absolute droves. And what's the matter? You don't have the credentials? Well, then you have no right to tread there. Ah, right. give me a break. Right. I remember being an, a young teacher at Berkeley and one of the admin people introducing me to a group of people we were standing with and they said not only is Lauren a guitar teacher but she's a songwriter and a producer and I wanted to say to them oh no I'm not a producer yet I'm trying to be a producer I would like to learn to be a producer but I was you know like maybe 24 years old and I felt this weird feeling about it that they were saying I was something that I felt like I still was trying to be and I realized <laughs> You have to put that, that, that label on yourself. You have to tell people I'm a producer. You have to fall in love with the stuff and spend the time doing it and become that. You take yourself there, you know? It's so interesting. And, and I do that with, like, I teach harmony at Berkeley. It's one of the things I teach. Yes, I love and classes. There used to be five levels of it too. Yes, there did. I loved that. I loved Well, harmony. now they have, now there's fundamentals, MAT, Harmony 2. So you could think of Harmony 2 as the new Harmony 3. But what happened to 4 and 5? They don't go there anymore? <laughs> no, they do. We have 2, 3, and 4. You scrunch it all together. It's kind of scrunched together. It's, um, well, you know, most hit songs are four chords, but I don't even want to get into that no, right now. I don't now. want go to. Back to. That's like saying I'm going to only use three crayons. It's like, come on, when you were four, you wanted the biggest box of crayons. You didn't want just three. 64, man, 64. Yeah, or even bigger. With the sharpener. 128. <laughs> when I was a kid, it was 64. Yeah, I think it was 64. <laughs> but, you know, there are... Right, so speaking of, of crayons, the, the palette, what I tell my students is... Yes. All I'm doing is helping you increase your palette. Thank and you. Like, well, I don't know how to use these because it comes... Well, first of all, you have to figure out a way... Mm. 
to hear them. So there's a couple of choices. If you play, if you play keyboards, you're all set. Mm-hmm. If you play guitar, you're you're all set too. But you're gonna have to know the names of the notes you're playing because that you don't know. A lot of guitar players don't always know the names of the what the notes are. I know, so and some of them are sixth and seventh semesters, and that makes my mind explode. Oh, oh. Well, I tell I tell I tell everybody that you really should not that you have to play piano. Oh, here's my other one. They want to eat. Look at <laughs> you get to this meet both of them today. Girl. Oh, hello! Look at the cute oh. the feet. She's the sweetest <laughs> thing on the planet. She'll, she'll never be mean. I the love. Them. Yeah, they're the they're the best. Oh, anyway, so. You have to find a way, or you can use some kind of app. You know, mm-hmm. you can use you can use Logic yep. you know, and plug it in that way with notation. You can use Finale. Right. Don't use don't use the enable chord playback though when you're putting chord symbols in because it's awful. Yeah, yeah. So you write the notes in, you know, and then you listen and you say, "Well, I don't like that." Gee, you know, maybe I do need a modal interchange chord here. Mm-hmm. You have to play. Yeah, yeah. You have to play. That. You have to. You have to experiment. You can't worry about making mistakes, not sounding good. I mean, Kenny Werner's whole thing. Yeah. The effortless mastery. Absolutely. Is all about not sounding good. So translation. The ego getting there, well, we don't really like this one. Let's put that one aside. Oh, so no, 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 no. You don't know how to do this. And I think all of that yeah. is the result of the human experience of being small people who are uncoordinated and can't do things. And parents mm-hmm. maybe not letting their kids be kids as much as they could. Maybe. Think there's some sometimes that's it sure and children have no filter so they internalize everything and i i i have a a very strong memory <laughs> i was i was at berkeley and i i went home to visit my family and my father everything it was usually pretty good but my one time my father was helping him move a box of tea. I think it was in a, a television was in a box from the trunk of the car into the apartment building. And he was getting really pissed at me. And I'm like, what is your, what is your problem? And I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I'm helping you. And he started yelling at me. And I said, you know what, daddy, F you. And I grabbed my stuff and I left and I went home to Boston. I'd How never done that. Oh, okay. You were driving. So, no, I, I took the train. I oh. went to the subway and I got to Penn Station. I was so angry at him. Wow. You know, now I would have been like, okay, well, he's having a tough time with something. Mm. But it, that experience was really powerful. The next morning he called me and profusely apologized. But it took him to the next morning. He didn't, well, it took you a while to get home too, so he figured. I. But the fact that he did that, affirmed for me that wait a minute it was worse than i thought it had nothing to do with me of course i got blown up but it was him yeah so that was another pivotal moment you know i had that one when i was like 14 or 15 and then this this was a pivotal thing you know because you don't know what battle someone else is fighting which is a whole thing but if they if it comes out sideways at you you know (laughs) i don't know how i got there 
but I think I do. It's it's like we end up internalizing this behavior. Mm-hmm. We don't give ourselves permission to to be to be bum- to bumble around like little kids. Yeah, because we're afraid we're going to get attacked again by one of those explosive adults that are uh, unregulated and not getting their needs met and blaming it on us. Right. Right. So, well, I mean, I I, I went to college for psych. I wanted to study psychology. Oh, for- sweet. I took years. a lot of psychology too in, in high school. I loved it. Yeah. yeah, and I have a funny thing I wanted to share with you about that. Okay. I went to Hunter College in New York for two years before I got seriously bitten by the music bug. <laughs> and I, I was very interested. I was taking a lot of liberal arts classes and anthropology, sociology, communications at the time mass communication we read um you know marshall McLuhan and all the alvin toffler all this stuff it was really interesting yeah and, um then if i wanted to be a psychology major i found out that i had to take statistics oh and i said i don't want to take statistics <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're 19 you're like you make these big decisions. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Nothing. <laughs> Not going that way. No. Well, sometimes and, it's a natural call. You know, sometimes yeah, it's an well, instinct that helps you. Right. Well, I mean, my life would have been very different if I'd gone in that direction. Probably. I mean, who's no, you'd say- probably be still doing the same job you're doing because we do a lot of psychology. <laughs> 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 oh, I should have precipitated <laughs> and known that, that coming. coming right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I had started getting really interested in in sort of in jazz, a lot more fusion. Mm. It's interesting how I came from classical music. Yes, tell me. Rock, like that's an easy, that's an easier shift than going to jazz. Well, also my, my parents were born in Europe and my father was an opera buff. Yeah. And I, I, I listened, I, uh, without, you know, trying to, we, the only music that was playing in the house was either opera or folk music or some musicals. Mm. Not, not, yeah, like a little bit of that. It, it was really, um, I went from playing classical music, and of course, the Beatles. Meet the Beatles was the first album I was actually allowed to to get. So I still have my copy. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, and it's funny that so many of those titles didn't exist in England, because it was called well, with the Beatles in England. I didn't even know they were English at oh. first because I couldn't read. Oh sure. Very well, and I remember. When I figured out what standing in the queue in Liverpool meant, (laughs) because they didn't sing with English accents, and I didn't know I was an only child. I I didn't know that Roll Over Beethoven, Roll Over Beethoven wasn't a Beatles song. That I didn't know who Chuck Berry was. Sure. Yeah. I did learn who Chubby Checker was. I had um, the twist of that. Now <laughs> that's cool. Chubby Checker. But yeah, I remember thinking, wow, the Beatles are so clever to say, you know, when I call you up, your line's engaged. And I thought, what a nice way to say that instead of saying your line is busy, because you know 
We used to have a thing called call waiting on a landline phone that the phone company rented you the equipment for, and you'd get a busy signal, which was probably a B-flat note. <laughs> and if you called somebody and their line was busy, you couldn't get through, sometimes for hours, you know. So here's Paul singing, when I call you up, your line's engaged. And I'm, and I'm thinking, wow, that's such a clever way of saying it. But that's how they say it. When I was calling England and talking to different publishers and record companies and stuff, I'd be like, oh, the line's engaged. Would you please hold? You know, it was like, well, that's, that's, that's just how they say your phone is busy over there. It was not what? any, you know, earth shattering lyric. It was just, that's how they talk over there. I was like, oh. It's <laughs> a different English than we do. My favorite thing is I've been to England a number of times. My favorite too, one is, you know, in Union, Union Square, um, New York City, the 14th Street, there's a subway stop, and the, the track is curved, so there are these grates that come out when, this, mm. when the train arrives in the Mind station the to, the to keep you from falling between the train and the tracks. Yeah. And they say, watch your step getting off the train. Watch your step getting off the train, you know, <laughs> as opposed to mind the gap. Yes, mind the gap. <laughs> That's a great film too. Did you ever see that? No, it's a you movie. Watch a, a very underground, cool, uh, artsy film called Mind the Gap. Oh no, really? I have to make a note of that. Yeah. I think yeah. I have a copy of it. Yeah, that's the first time I went to England. I realized, wow, they speak English, but it's a different language. And and they really are polite about it. Like I was walking down the streets in London, and instead of saying like, "No parking," <laughs> or curb your dog, you know, or don't let your dog soil the, you know, the ground or whatever they say here. It's like pretty crude and to the point, usually spelled wrong, trying to get your attention. And it's, it's weird. But in London, it was, a, it was like a couple of paragraphs. If a person should be walking their dog and let their dog soil the footpath, then that person should then gather the pickup bag for the, you know, it was like on and on and on to just say, pick up after your dog, you know, like, <laughs> It was just amazing. I just loved how polite they were. <laughs> and, 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 and when you're walking down the street and someone accidentally bangs into you, instead of saying, excuse me, they say, pardon. 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 <laughs> yes, I, was I, at the, I was at the 1991 Grammy Awards and one of the after parties, hoping to see somebody cool, walking through a doorway to another room, I literally bumped into Graham Nash and neither of us said anything because we both didn't give. We both decided to go through that doorway <laughs> at the same time. And he didn't move out of the way and neither did I and neither of us said anything. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Wow. Uh, but getting back to harming, um, I think it's very interesting that painters don't study the chemistry to make their own colors, right? They don't say, ah, this particular red is 55% magenta with 32% blah, 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 and you know, whatever, they don't go on into a, a chemistry kind of dialogue to understand how that color works. They just see colors, they learned how things blend, maybe they work with a color wheel, they see color relationships, but the Beatles had like a natural understanding of how those chords worked because they played all the standards. They played songs from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, their parents' era, and all those songwriters of those times, the Rodgers and Hammersteins and all those folks, all the show tunes, they were beautifully constructed melodies. They sometimes had introductions that didn't ever repeat themselves in the body of the song, and they also had chords 
of every color. It wasn't just the four chords or the three chords in rock and roll. And so they weren't adverse to chords. Like if you even Google all the chords the Beatles used, you see all the colors. You see all the chords that we teach at Berkeley. It's fantastic. And so were all the people that I grew up with in the 70s. James Taylor, Carly Simon, uh, the Yes, the Guess Who, uh, Doobie Brothers, Almond Brothers, Stevie Wonder. They all used all the cool chords. Billy Joel, Elton John. You know, it was like I was not, I, I loved harmony. I was so amazed to play a chordal instrument. And there's so few chordal instruments. That's why it gets me so mad when guitar players only want to play lead. It's like, you're one of like so few chordal instruments on the planet that can play more than one note at the same time. And you never play more than one note. You either play all six or one. And it's like, there's so many beautiful things with guitar in between, you know? We're a polyphonic instrument. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So you can yeah. learn harmony in a natural way. Like, I don't know how to use these chords. If you just hear how songs are, are working, but a lot of folks are listening to people who'd never used those chords before. And well, so they, happening? Yeah. it's not natural to them to hear well, those what's sounds. What's now is, um, I went to see Ed Sheeran. Oh yeah. Went to Gillette Stadium along with 72,000 other people. How was it? Um, it was interesting. Were you has, aware of any of his music prior? Yes, he has one incredibly beautiful song, and I can't recall it at the top of my head right But now. that one song drew you to the show? No, no, actually, a friend invited me to go with them. Oh, nice. I said, okay, yeah, I'll drop some coin, and because you definitely drop coin. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an experience. I mean, you're also paying for all the pyrotechnics, you're paying for all the visuals. And um, because music has become so merged with visuals. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I remember getting really excited when MTV, you know, developed the whole concept of writing, of, of creating a visual image for the sound as opposed to the sound just supporting the visuals. Mm -hmm. Very, I was like, wow, that's so great. But that's, I digress, but it's evolved into the situation where a concert is a visual experience. Yeah. And uh, there were things I didn't like about it. Like the, it was a round stage mm. and, and, and the band wasn't on the stage with him. They were off what? in separate little stages. Well, I didn't like that, but yeah. he didn't even use a band like, cause he's a looper. Oh, he uses this looping machine, the bass was covered everything it was like this giant audio fog that covered. awful it was awful i had my earplugs in and um I could not barely, enough. <laughs> it was it was too much but actually i mean there were some great things he did a lot of different stuff through the show and he was very connected to the audience and yeah, he was quite lovely um yeah. he talked a lot he had some, a lot of interesting things to say stories about his roots you know he's but 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 you know i'd say 60 to 70 percent of the music was four chords if that mm. it was more about a story he was telling oh. which is kind of what rap and hip-hop are but there that's what that's what that is I, i'm not expecting that right. music to have Harmony. the harmonic structure that i right. 
want to hear from rock and pop, you know, it, it's a different yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and um, the, one of the great things is um, John Mayer did an opening solo acoustic set. Really? Nice. He came and did, he's, he's really talented. He's, yeah. he's a great acoustic guitar soloist. Yeah. I'm so happy when he made it because he's a real musician. <laughs> oh god yeah yeah and he played a song with um with ed sheeran ed sheeran is is very good i mean he's got a good voice he's you know and, and he's one of the top selling you know artists in the world now <laughs> but it just the whole thing that harmony has taken a back seat mm -hmm. well so has melody and so has real instrument playing by real people but <laughs> Well, I refuse to. I refuse to buy into that in terms of my own self. I don't care. Well, yeah, I, I play all the instruments and, and enjoy doing it that way. I don't even care if that becomes very old-fashioned or fossil. It's fun. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. Yeah, it's fun to keep learning instruments and to learn more about recording and to just do what we do. But I, I, you know, I should have realized you being in the harmony department, especially, and knowing your. Uh, I was going to say so many words at the same time, your brilliance, your experience, your uh, harmonic sense in so many different settings that I've seen and heard you play in on line and, and live. Um, I should have given you a song with more chords in it than just a city. <laughs> no, when you played on that tune, that was so funny. <laughs> a friend of mine had written a bluesy kind of tune. So at that time, I wanted to write one back, you know, but uh -huh. uh, yeah, that was fun. I love what you came over and played this very oh. nord you were playing oh, this yes yes i'm i'm actually thinking of getting i have a nord electro three yeah that's wonderful but i'm thinking of getting a stage because i'm i'm a little disenchanted with another company <laughs> say <laughs> i don't want to lose any potential endorsements <laughs> right 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 i i think experiencing the sounds in songs that they actually like is a way in for folks to play because they think all these chords are jazz chords and that they're uncool and it's like all the people i just mentioned a few subjects back uh or paragraphs back we should say um use those chords they're not the chords themselves are not a particular style they're just yeah, chords of course right yeah of course I, I i talk a lot i have four words that i like to use content context mm. location duration mm. Those four words will give any musical event, will give you a way to sort of frame any musical event or identify. Cool. And so we get in there and it's like, okay, C major seven, a chord in space has its properties as we get into the makeup of the color, right? But where it's coming from and where it's going. Right, where, where it came from. So the way we perceive a sound or any event is in relation to what we've seen or heard before. Yeah. And then where it's going. And, yeah. and, and our ear has always, there's always a balance between what we expect to hear and yes. a surprise. I love the surprise. <laughs> right. Well, that's what fusion was. It was kind okay. of like, I mean, I think that that was, for me, that was an interest. That was what drew, drew me to it was that it was very exciting because it changed a lot. 
Yeah. Even when I'm writing, I, I always want to love every word and every chord and every melody note. And I want to take my ear by surprise. I, my first ideas that might come to me are typical, but I want to do something I haven't done before. And I want I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I'm trying to do something that moves me and still interests my ear. Right. But there's, what's the word for it? There's a word, um, it's kind of about, it's, it's a philosophical term and I can't think of it right now. It'll come but to you. Tell me those four sort of criteria again. Get, get you know. Content? Yeah. Right. Come Can I you. use my piano? Can I, we do yeah. something sonically? Sure, that'd be great. Okay, so I have a C major 7 chord. Right. Okay, so there's a lot, That that is what it is, you know, that's a series of frequencies that are mixing with one another you've got a major seven you've got a perfect fifth a major third a minor third another major third another perfect fifth and together they create that sonority you know with different overtones on different instruments so my piano's really out of tune um i let my ears melt into into the dystopia that creates us <laughs> I kind of like it, you know, because I can do it. Right. Anyway, so <laughs> content. I have musical Tourette's, by the way. <laughs> um, and then there's the context. So if, if I'm like, oh, all of a sudden that C major seven sounds like one, and I'm going to four, right? Mm -hmm. Or where am I coming from if I'm going from... D major seven to C major seven. If I establish D in a in a strong location, that will make it sound like a one chord. And then we've got flat seven major seven. Oh yes, um, we have a different um, we have a Dorian or a Mixolydian um, source then, or whatever. Right. And um, so that's content, context, location. Where is it located in the phrase? Is it establishing tonality? Is it you know passing? location is it cadential mm. um you know lots of the location will give us a clue and, and also how long it lasts so dominant seventh chords are really those are I, I i think of them as kind of the most mutable because they can they can very comfortably depending on the idiom cover any of the functions any tonic subdominant dominant you know, subdominant minor or whatever. The dominant chords are just, you can, you can put any tension on top. You know, if you're in blues or if you're in, uh, if you're in a jazz scenario, um, it's in the five. Uh, right <laughs> you can play any note on any chord as long as you know how to resolve it right joe pass so those are the, the words um location um content con content and context and location duration so great so and the philosophical word you were trying to find is how they make you feel no it's uh, like um not ethics it's not ethics it's um it's like about taste. Yeah. Know? Like, and so it's, it's always a combination, Lauren, I think of, of predictability and unpredictability. Like if it's too unpredictable, 
like you know if you take 12 tone rows a lot of that music if you're not yeah. grounded if i mean some people are very comfortable not being grounded in the tonality yeah. other people aren't i need yeah. i'm not <laughs> yeah i'm generally not either i, I like I love the harmony <laughs> Well, there's harmony in atonalism. In a lot own. of it. <laughs> I mean, I don't consider myself particularly a dissonant player. No, I wouldn't say you're dissonant either. No. You were about to say something about five week before. Yes, at five week, what I did, um, I do a presentation um, for the kids on the first Monday morning at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> So I was doing a thing with guide tone lines, so representing the harmony and theory. And I did a thing with guide tone lines for a long time, and I had them sing guide tone lines and built them and all this. And then I decided to change it this year. So I took Twinkle Twinkle Little Star <laughs> and I created a myriad of treatments. So I mean, cool. I could show it to you if you want yes, to Yes, sure. Oh, it's going to share the screen, kind of show me. Good. Do that too, yes. Right. That would be good for the viewers who'll be able to see it later. Okay, everybody listening, go to the YouTube. About an hour, six minutes in, and look for this. Is that how long we've been talking? Just a bit, yeah. Okay. Number one. All right, let me just bring them up. We can talk about something in the interim. I want to bring them up in Sure. Well, the first time I think I remember hearing about you was in Girls' Night Out. I went to a live outside concert, and I was just so happy, you know, to see so many great musicians in one band. And you guys were all just a couple of years older than me, so I, like, I wasn't in the club, but I was like, wow, I just love all these people. I think I tried to friend all of you <laughs> uh <-huh>. at various times. <laughs> oh, oh and, my gosh, that's and, funny. And you guys were doing so many cool things, winning awards, being written up in the yeah, newspapers. Was... I mean, it was a huge deal. It was a really cool band. Yeah, we... And I, I got to perform with Kathy Berkeley many times, and she's recorded with me many times. I got to record with you. So, yeah. I just recorded with her last night. Oh, that's great. She's amazing. She's amazing. I know. She's an amazing person and an amazing musician. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh. I've always wanted her to teach at Berkeley, but she's declined. I know. Dee Dee teaches there. I know. Dee Dee's great. Yes, Dee Dee is great. I've got this up. All right, ready? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So this is what we've got. Should I be playing, please? Do you want to hear them or do you just want yeah. to watch? Yeah, no, let's let's hear them and hear what you have to say. Okay, well here's the first one. Cool. Oh, oh actually they're all there. Okay. Great. Can you see it? Yeah. Okay. So is that better? Definitely. little three-part yeah which everybody knows and um i like to talk about the functions and how they how they impact on the shape of a phrase mm. 
start in tonic. This is a closed phrase, begins in tonic. I don't want to get too into this because I'd rather talk about other stuff too. But so I showed them this and we pl I played it. Um, now, then I just added inversions. Cool. So make them aware of the bass, how important the bass is. Mm. Because music is, you know, if you think of it as a tangible thing, its borders are the bass and the melody. Definitely. The, the stuff that goes on in between yep. is where we get in there. And, and I was amazed recently playing bass on one of my songs, how many different directions I could take the groove. Like the bass really controls the band. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it does it. <laughs> There's always these new revelations like, how long have you been on the planet? How long have you been playing bass? You didn't realize that before? You know? <laughs> ah, there's the critic, right? Yeah. <laughs> you must be stupid. You don't deserve to be around all this expensive stuff. Who do you think you are? Get back to the gutter, would you please? Get back to the gutter. <laughs> 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 you faker yeah really oh oh yeah um imposter syndrome rampant <laughs> Right, so there's a little more classical stuff in there, but it's all based on the stuff we teach. Yes. And, okay, so now let's get to something else. Meter change, dominant sevenths, adding a diminished chord. So now we have a different groove. One, and now it's something completely different. Different, but the same. That's very right. cool. So it's still yeah. twinkle twinkle. Sure. Right. Yeah. You want to see one here? Another one? Yeah. Let's see. If and I your your point that you're exploring and, and uh, sharing with these five week students is just what you can learn from this study, how yeah. to do this, how to harmonize a melody in mm. any number of ways. All right. And here's a minor one. Oh, here, actually, let me show you this one. Here's a jazz one, the bottom. This is swing with anticipations, articulations, and compound chords. So this goes up to like harmony four. Nice. So the melody, so manipulating the melody. Right? So learning to control grooves and create you know what is what are the elements that need to be utilized yeah so here's starting without not on the one chord <laughs> that's great <laughs> And, you know, the thing that's interesting about this is that I don't have to hear this to be able to do it. Right. I do it intellectually, not to me. Yeah. And what happens through that is your ear gets better. Yeah. So 
instead of just coming from ear, right, from intellect and feeding the ear. So there's this thing, this back and forth. Yeah, it goes back and forth. And you don't have to do this. Like I tell students, you don't have to do any of this. <laughs> Knowing that you have this skill is just, I, I think it's, in, I, I think it's invaluable, you know? It certainly makes things juicy. Yeah, it does. I love I mean, the way going to play the minor one. That's, there's Ooh. another one, but, but the, the minor one is, is really fun. Sure. And maybe just a little softer if there's going to be a big. Oh, part. I'm sorry. Yeah, Some of, of them are crackling. Oh, well, you should have said something. Okay, play this is sad softer. version. Please play it again softer, please. It's a very <laughs> sad version. <laughs> awesome love that one yeah so a, a sad twinkle little star and then it turns out to be feeling a little better <laughs> so you can control emotions by understanding how modal interchange works how how working with a different it's a different set of colors you know it's definitely it, so all all so, the uh, chords i choose are to feel a certain way you know, and guitar, it's interesting because you do only need three notes to, to make a chord, but you've got six strings. So we end up with string sets. It's like, which strings do you want to use to find the chord? And if you're going to find four note chords, you have the bottom four strings, the top four strings, the middle four strings, the sixth string in the middle three, or the fifth string in the top three. And that's where you should look for the root three, five, and seven. And it's like, I can put my fingers anywhere and sometimes it's just my ear says this one note wants to go down that one note wants to go up this one goes here oh you're looking for this chord you know but like my emotions are are leading and my ears saying no 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 go this way you know it's really fun well same on piano it's just piano is like a straight linear thing yeah Guitar, I mean, I stopped playing guitar. I started when I was about eight and I had this, the way I learned guitar was I, um, public television had this woman named Laura Weber. There you go. And she had this TV show with lessons and you ordered the book and nice. you watched the show. It's pretty so forward good. thinking at the time, you know? And so totally. I learned how to finger pick and a bunch of other things from her. That's great. I just did it on my own otherwise. But I remember that the guitar was the instrument that taught me that I could play by ear. Nice. Like, I didn't realize that at the piano. And we have a lot of students that study classical at Berkeley more and more, especially since we've combined with Boco. Mm -hmm. A lot of classically trained people yeah. are afraid to get away from the music. Yeah. They're not taught chords on their own to say, just play A minor. 
what? Like you have to write out the voicing. Well, the guitar, you know, you don't have to know what the notes are to play on the guitar. I know. The piano, you kind of do. Yeah. You kind of do. I mean, you can't not know. If, right. So it's it's an interesting, it's interesting how the guitar led me to my ear, I think. Oh, that's cool. I opened that up for you. So have you been writing songs on guitar as well? Yeah, I wrote one of my favorite songs on guitar. It was yeah. the first song I ever wrote on guitar, and I've got um, a filmmaker made a video of it. It's up on, it's up on YouTube. It's called "So What About You." Oh, cool! It's the title track of my album that I made years ago, which I think I gave you a copy of. It's such a great album. Thank you. If you want, we can go out with that song on the credits. Okay, if you like. Yeah. Sure. So I'm so I'm in the studio now. I just started doing some recording. Oh, that's great. It's down the street from my house, which is good. Perfect. I need I need to be close. What organ is that behind you? That's really cool. Oh, that's oh, this is my poor A100. It's an A101. It's a, and it, it doesn't it's a Hammond. It, it doesn't work it, because I don't play it. Oh. I'm not drawn to it when I'm when I'm just sitting here. I like how it fits right there. <laughs> I had the space built. Yep. Around it. That's um, great. I need to have it repaired. I need a Leslie. Anybody have a small Leslie for sale? I don't have a large space here. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not moved to play it with the. It's it's got a great reverb. It's got this really rich plate reverb mm. <clears throat> built in. Yeah. Or maybe it's spring. It's probably spring, actually. I don't know. It's really rich. I could and hook you up with the Hammond guy if you don't know him. <laughs> okay. We can talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's fun. So um, tell me some things you love about composing or, or creating or more things about harmony. I mean, people don't really know how the inner workings of some of these things go or how how we feel or how we do what we do? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of like throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. Definitely. So, you know, I usually, I don't get up every day and write. Um, I've thought about that, but my rebel self is like, no, you have enough stuff you have to do every day. You know, let this, this is kind <laughs> of like my, my my private thing you know it's mm -hmm. and and there's a part of me that goes well, allison you know if you really if you really cared if you were really here's the critic if you really cared if you were really serious you do this all the time no it's not true it's yeah, not yeah. true yeah well there are I, a lot of things that can spin our chakras and make us feel really good so our chakras yes you know it's it's like whatever does that for you and whatever you feel drawn to do in any moment of time, it's like, keep your alignment, keep your sanity and go for the thing that makes you feel good uh, that you also enjoy doing. You know, we that's have a, a lot great, to choose from. That's a great thing to strive for. Yeah, I think, you know, I have to practice that every day, just like everybody else. But, you know, two of the other chats that were on uh, this podcast are, are uh, Glenn Berger, who wrote that book, uh, never say no to a rock star who became a psychotherapist after being a very successful recording engineer. Oh, I didn't and, know about this. And um, Eric Maisel, 
that you might know. He's written over 50 books on the creative process and, and how artists function and what our problems are and, and, and how we deal with them, how to get around them, how to stay healthy. Yeah, both the, both those guys have been on here and uh, they're, they're just amazing, amazing tips. And, you know, we, we have all those human things because that's, we all have these brains we have to train. Like Jerry Seinfeld says, it's a wild stallion and it needs repetition and it needs, uh, you know, um, guidance, you know, you need, we're, we're here to focus. So since we have the ability to focus on anything, you have to train your brain to focus on what serves you. And Eric was saying, you can't let any thoughts remain. You have to keep replacing the thoughts. If any thought comes through that is going to make you feel horrible, stop thinking it. It's like listening to a song that's in your head, you know, can't get the jingle out of your head. You have to replace it with a song that you like, you know? Right. So it's a switch of like the three-year-old playing with the knife. You just give them the spoon, you know, <laughs> you can't break a habit. You have to create a new one. Exactly. And, and we have these grooves that feel comfortable that we like to stay in. So it's easy to just be a victim. And it's like, that's just so boring. Well, we also, we gravitate towards what's familiar, whether it's painful or not. Exactly. Cause that's the groove we're used to being in that feels the most comfortable. Yes. Uh, some yeah. guy wrote 50 books on, on the creative process. Yeah, over 50. <laughs> well, on, on, on creative lives, on creative living, on one of his books is called Toxic Criticism. <laughs> it's great. It. And, and uh, I mean, there's so many. Uh, they're, they're really great. But uh, both of them were really great talks, especially for, you know, trying to keep your brain on straight. But some of the other people I like listening to are Brooke Castillo and Dana Wilde. They all do brain training things. Brooke Castillo is always saying everything is a thought problem. And uh, the brain is like a three-year-old running around with scissors. Like, you really just have to. <laughs> well, it's a monkey mind. Exactly. That's yeah, exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. yeah. You know, I. I try to get up every day. I heard something interesting that there are different types of brains. Like some people absolutely thrive on predictability. Right. Get up and I have to have my coffee in this cup or whatever. Right. <laughs> and it has to be at 9 15 in the morning. Okay. I have to have that, you know. And then other people are more mutable. I'm a definitely more mutable type. Me too. But like, I don't. You know, I don't meditate every day. I intend to, but it doesn't always happen. I have to, so I've, so I've, instead of sitting and doing my mantra meditation that I like to do hmm. time, sometimes I'll just take five minutes and do alternate nostril breathing. There you go. Something to center me, to bring me in every day in the morning when I brush my teeth and afterwards I do a whole, I do I have various little kind of short yoga series. I mean, yoga is the other thing I teach at Berkeley. Nice. And I'm doing a lot more of that lately. I think our students need it. Get the vagus nerve to respond. They need their nervous systems to be Calm the heck down. Right. The noise to, to lower the noise level, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I've done, I'll do a lot of breath work. Cool. And even just, you know, it becomes anything that you start to practice can be woven. Like the thing about breathing that's so powerful is you can do it anywhere at any time. Right. 
and you can just take a few minutes and go somewhere or just wherever you are, you can just do it. Depends on bring your nose. Yes, just blow your nose, bring your tissue. Bring your nose. Bring your nose. Make sure you bring your nose. If you forget it, you're going to have to get another one somewhere. And then it'll all be in your throat, and that might be. And it won't fit right. <laughs> but those are things that I, I think when you get stressed, you block your creative channels. Absolutely. You disconnect from the life force. You know, you're not in tune. And... And it's okay because we all do. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to get off kilter. You have to. It's like a contrast. But so, so many of our students, they they beat themselves up. Oh my God, I fell off. Or, and then and then you spend time beating yourself up. And what good does that do? I always say to people, look. If you had a really good friend that was trying to do something and they were having a hard time with it, would you go up to him and say, oh, why don't you just forget it? You can't do this. No, you'd encourage him. You'd say, no, you can do it. Try again. Right. So why don't you treat yourself like your best friend? Exactly. That's a great advice. It's great you tell them that. Have I you try to tell myself that too. Absolutely. Because who do you um, wake up with every day? Right. Have you heard of the book Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg? I'm not a much of a reader, honestly. I mean, I do, but I don't sit and read books like I would like to. I just... Yeah, I do oh. a lot on Audible now, but a friend of mine reads like over 150 books a year. It's amazing. And she does a million other things. I don't know how, but she listens to a lot of books, so that's easy while she's I cooking. should start doing that. That would be better. Yeah. Yeah, while driving. I'm and just all those podcasts. There's so many great podcasts. Yes, yes. I have listened to a, a number of those. That's true. Yeah. But but Natalie's thing with uh, meditating, she was trying to study with a Zen master and she couldn't sit for too many hours. It was uncomfortable or she would preferred to walk or to do writing meditation. And he, and he was telling her, the Zen master was telling her, just do what comes naturally to you. That could be your practice. You love to write. So just sit and write. That is your meditation. Our practicing is our meditation. Certainly when I'm working on drum things, it gets very meditative, you know? So any way you want to do it that feels natural and easy, that helps you relax and, and retune. And if you feel that, like, for, I would say for a practicing thing, yeah. anything, anything repetitive can become meditative. Exactly. That's my point. So yeah, and and if you're practicing, you feel like you're also being productive. Yeah, getting something done, and so yeah. when well, people listen. feel uh, have a very hard time sitting, they feel like they're wasting time. <laughs> so that's yeah. when you know. Whereas to sit is very, and and you do you know that yoga postures. Well, there's it's it's changed over the centuries, but there was a time when yoga postures were considered the preparation for seated meditation because oh, cool. if you get the body into balance and it can sit for periods of time it was ready for it then oh that's great right yeah. so that's something i also i love to t to work with our students i don't know if i would be comfortable in a public class because so much of where I'm at with my practice is related to the rest of my life and my music and yeah now it's time to play piano yeah I I've always felt like there's like this threshold you have to break through 
Like sometimes you really feel the desire to do something and it's just easy to get up and go do it. But sometimes there's something you really want to do and you forgot how you started it or how you set it up or how you got back into it. And, you know, like uh, certain gigs I used to do with different bands, if I hadn't played with them in a while, I'd be like, how do we set this up again? <laughs> how do we do this again? And there's this little place where you could just say, eh, I don't want to do it today. I just don't feel like figuring it out again. But when you do, it goes into this one step in front of the, the next, you know, that the momentum starts to happen. And then you don't want to stop, you know? It's, it's like we love momentum, but getting to momentum, you need Overcoming that. Overcoming inertia. Exactly. You have to, I was just saying that exact word. You, you have to be able to uh, change that state and, and get into motion and get into, that's where uh, Mel Robbins talks about the 54321, like a rocket. Like just get yourself out of bed and go do it, that kind of thing. Right. No negotiation. Yeah, yeah. Don't negotiate if you if you want it. Right. Well, because there's your current self that wants something, and then there's your future self that really wishes for something. And there's the past self that probably regrets something. So it's like, which self is driving the bus here? Who, who am I gonna please next? You know, wh where am I going? What do I really want? Because, like, again, with Jerry Seinfeld, he go. I'm going to stay out and party all night. I'm going to stay up and not go to sleep or anything. He's like, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. That's morning guy's problem. Night guy wants to have some fun, you know? <laughs> and then morning guy's like, why did you do that? <laughs> and when you're in your late teens and early 20s and your frontal lobe is not completely developed, you don't think about the future. <laughs> when, does that, when does that actually get developed? I don't know. It's different for everyone. Oh. And I think, you know, doing certain activities can delay its development. <laughs> yeah. Worry about that. They've been legalized. Some of those activities. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that I, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, definitely. Even venture there, but it, you know, this overcome there's, one thing that meditation and getting quiet allows you to do is really believe that you have a choice yes, as to what the next step will be. Exactly. Whether it's getting up, if you're lying in bed and you have to pee and you decide to stay in bed, <laughs> or whether you should get up and go pee. <laughs> really, because that's you know one of the most basic types of things like that. Would you rather lie there in discomfort or would yes. you rather go and get the job done? Diminishing returns. <laughs> and there's another thing I love is like just being in pre being present. Mm. You know, when you're playing, when you're playing music and things are going well mm. and you're not worried about the past, mm -hmm. not regretting, Oh, I should have played that note there. Mm. And you're not worried, uh-oh, my solo's coming up. You're not worried about the future. Right. Regretting the past, worrying about the future, and everything, you're right in it. That's when time stops. Mm. And it's like almost you don't even age when you're in that space. Yeah. <laughs> you're just connected and feeling great. Being, yeah. Yeah. And to, be, be, to find that is, I think that's one of the essences of creative production and... and Totally. How about uh, stage fright? Did you ever have to deal with that? Yeah, I get. I still get it. 
I think a certain level is okay. A little excitement, a little means you care. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, well, I the adrenaline, you know. Yes. And you decide whether that's adrenaline is fear or if it's just excitement. Or you can fool yourself into turning it into excitement. That's what I try to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same energy. In fact, the brain doesn't know something between something imagined or you're actually there. So if I have an important thing coming up, I start picking the tunes, then I start practicing the tunes, then I start standing up and performing the tunes. Uh, I start imagining being at the venue or who's going to be there, or who's going to be reviewing, and I start actually getting nervous. And if I can play those first three songs through feeling the nerves, if my hands start shaking or my knees start shaking, because I can really imagine being there, then I've practiced through that adrenaline a little bit more. And uh, when I feel that it will feel natural, I'll still be able to play. Well, there's a few things I that's well, there's a few things that I do. One is imagining the scenario and feeling calm in my imagination as I'm doing it. That's good. Knowing that people want me to do well. Yes, they're not coming to watch you. They want, they're there for you, not against you. Right. And especially like doing shows at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Where you know there are intelligent ears in the audience. Yeah. And, you know, and then also just, I am where I am, you know, and it's okay. Right. It's okay. And the, all the little the millions of little decisions that have to be made <clears throat> when you're not reading music, when you're flying without a net, I call it, <clears throat> <clears throat> you know, you have this idea of what you want to be playing or what you should be playing. Mm. And then there's what you're physically able to do. And then you negotiate somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. And usually when you listen back, you realize, okay, it didn't go where I thought I wanted it to. And I was disappointed, but that was good. You know? Right. That, that's good when that happens. Yeah, it is. Actually, well, you're you're a recording mogul at this point. Yes. And so you, um, I can do it again. <laughs> right, you can do it, or I'll never have that recipe again. Oh my God, there's always that. For a more, I I don't have the hours in the studio you do. I've mm. put time in, but I haven't been. You know, you were mentioning something before, Lauren, that I wanted to just sure make a, a comment about where you know, like if you're not sure about something. You, you, something you haven't touched for a while and you want to go back to it, but maybe you might end up turning your back on it. That's how I am with technology. And it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. Not everybody cares about technology. I mean, you almost have to just do what you have to do, you know? No, but like, I'd like to do more sequencing. I'd like to work with, uh, you know, logic or hmm. Even GarageBand I've worked with. And I and Tons of free stuff on YouTube on how to go about things. You could even just know, the question you've got when you're in the middle of it. You know? I know that. Oh, okay. Sure. I know all that. <laughs> when the time sure. is right, you'll do it. it. Well, maybe, but I'm spoiled. I love to have someone who really knows what they're doing do that, and I can just be a musician. Well, that's cool, too. Like, yeah, both exactly. of those are legitimate. Like, you can't get yourself coming and going and saying, but I should want this or I should want that. It's like, you keep changing it on yourself. Like, this is what I like, but this is what I should do. Or this is what I'm bad at. And this is what I would rather do. 
what I wish I wanted to do it more. You know, it's like anything around the house that I need to get to. Sometimes they say, take care of something, because if you look at it every day and you don't get to it, you're going to think less of yourself. So if you can get that out of the way, you'll feel better. You don't have to keep seeing this thing that has to be done that you keep not doing and feeling bad about. But sometimes I see things and I go, I know I'm going to get to that. That's a good reminder. Thank you, brain. But that's not for today. I really have to do this today. You know. Right. Well, there's there's four categories. There's the, the category of er, things that are important and urgent, and those mm -hmm. are the things that get done. Mm -hmm. And there are the things that are important and not urgent. And those are the things that make us crazy. <laughs> and there are things that are urgent but not important. And those are the things that get us into trouble. <laughs> this is great. And then That's there's things that are neither, which are yeah, they no, never get done. <laughs> not issue, right? <laughs> if you can make important things more urgent to get them done, sometimes that's an interesting approach. Well, sometimes I just like knocking things off my list, but yeah, I've gotten better at that. I used to make lists all the time, even if someone said, "Sit down for a second and stop hummingbirding everywhere." <laughs> uh, I'll sit down and actually make a list of something to do, and it's like. We didn't tell you to sit down and make a list. We told you to just sit down. <laughs> no, but I, I'm no. not like that anymore. <laughs> I can rest. I love naps. I'm always lap, napping with the dogs. and Oh, yeah. Lap, napping with the cats. Yeah. I've liked naps since I was in, well, probably since I was a little kid. Yeah, I was napping in high school. It's like naps are great. <laughs> I agree. I don't do them every day, but I do enjoy napping, especially if I have to teach all day and then I have a gig at night. Oh yeah, definitely need Take it. a nap. Yeah. Get up, go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you want to talk about when I invited you to do this thing? Well, I actually last night, you know, honestly, I I've, I've been so busy. I, I said, "Oh my gosh, I got to listen to Lauren's podcast." So I went up and I found Mark Baxter's Oh, cool. With you. And Just I, two days ago, I think. <laughs> I studied with him for years. Oh, no wonder you're so good. Occasionally, I go for a tune-up lesson. I haven't gone in a while. Well, that's but great. He's amazing. He, yeah. Um, I went to see him every week for like five years, I think, or every other week. For lessons or watching lessons. gigs? Yeah. Lessons, yeah. Awesome. Back when he lived in Brookline. Um, that's and, awesome yeah so you listened to it and then you thought part of it i didn't listen to the whole thing i listened to some of it yeah it's great he's just he is telling his whole story you know yeah. i don't know um just hanging out with you is really cool i know yeah. that's what i've been doing it's just doing it for is the, the, the hang i didn't really have anything in particular that i wanted to talk about i think we've we've covered a bunch of ground i mean i could talk to you for hours <laughs> you know tell you like my roots and all that stuff and, you know it's you, you remember, said, mm -hmm. oh go ahead you had mentioned girls night out if, if yeah. you if you wanted any words about that yeah sure go for it but you were going to say something else. Before. I was going to ask you if you remembered anything about uh, working on the Night Vision album, if there was something about coming here or doing Oh, yeah. Anything. Yeah. I, you just blow me away. Why? You do everything. <laughs> I mean, God, you, you play drums. I mean, 
you play guitar, you play bass, you play keyboards, you sing, you write, mm. you engineer. I'm just, you blew my mind. That's, that's, I mean, the, the long and short of it, I am. I just always, all that stuff all just went together when I was a kid. It, it was just like, I like playing with microphones and tape recorders and my dad had a couple of different kinds and, you know, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. I was always told, choose something, stop doing so many things. But now all of a sudden it's, it's hip. Everybody's doing it. It's crazy. Right. right. No, I really admire that. And well, I thought, I thought that I would love to come out to your studio and do some work and some things. Yeah work with you see if you um that's so uh, that's something that will be talked about later sure especially now that you're tracking things you know could always mix something here or do something else here if you're in the neighborhood or whatever well that's the thing i you know i i live in the neighborhood. i live really close to town so yeah. i used to i used to live all in so many different places near Berkeley and it always took an hour to get there. I lived five miles away in Dorchester and you'd sit in traffic and it would take an hour to get there. And I lived in Newton and it took an hour to get there. And I did the trains from Winchester and it took an hour to get there. And it was just like, so now I live way out central mass, but it takes an hour to get there. So <laughs> really, I live, I live in Newton, 43 miles away. And then it's, and there's like, no traffic. It takes me 16 minutes to get into Boston. It's if you do not rush hour, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I try to avoid it or the, the commuter rail is pretty great. Yeah. That's good. I live a half a mile from it. So that's awesome. I don't know. I'm from New York city. So you walk to the train and then train it in. Yeah. I love it. I don't always do that. I have a parking spot. I have a really good parking spot at school. Oh, good. That's, I've had for years and the guy loves me because I always pay on time. So he doesn't raise the rent. That's nice. That sounds like a story for offline as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. So tell me about Girls Night Out. How did that even start? Were you part I of I got a phone call Ooh. from Dee Dee in 1982 or 83. Fantastic. And uh, we we want to do this girl group thing. We want to do an all female band. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. I was doing a lot of top forty stuff that time. That was in the day when you could work f um, four sets a night, five nights a week. Right. You'd set up all your gear. I had like four keyboards. I'd have everything set up, and you nice. just walk in and play. You know. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I I kind of miss that. That was. Well, that you know, was being really, a house band is really fun. Well, it wasn't even a house band. Everybody did like, you know, you do two weeks. Like a residency. Yeah, but it, we didn't even call it that. It was just the way gigs were. Sure. You know, and like it, you'd be at a Holiday Inn or you'd be at some restaurant and yeah. you'd be there all week, you know, yeah. or like Tuesday through Saturday. Right. You know, sometimes for two weeks. I did a lot of hotels like that. I didn't have much to set up doing solo guitar and vocal, but yeah, it was set up and you'd hang out in the hotel and yeah. Yeah, sometimes. So great. And how long were you in the band? I mean, you stayed Girls with Night Out? I was the whole, the whole time. It was, it yeah. really only lasted for four years. I can't oh. believe it. You know, Why? the band I mean, now, the Love Dogs has been together for 29 years. That's awesome. <laughs> and you're a founding member of that. Nice. Yeah. Any, anyway, it was. But do you get to set up all the gear and keep it someplace for a while or no? No. 
Because <laughs> every night is a separate gig. No, it's all different. But the gear doesn't weigh as much anymore. I mean, yeah, you know, when I, when I was in GNO, well, the heaviest rig I had was when I had my Yamaha Electric Grand. Wow. That thing had a pair of road cases <laughs> that at the time cost $1,000. Oh, sure. So that would be like three or four grand now, easy. Yeah. And you could sleep in the damn thing. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> you know, and we would have, so on some gigs, we'd have a piano tuner come and tune it. I could touch it up, but I couldn't really oh, tune it. I was going to ask you about that. You touch up your own piano? Because I tune my piano. I have a, a, an app on a little Android phone, and it does the stretch tuning, and I just, anytime I want to record, tune the piano. If, I, if it needs. Your acoustic, yeah? Yeah. I, yeah. I, think, I think piano players should be taught at least how to fix the unisons. Why do you have to? Yeah, I can do that. That's yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually worked for, um, when I was a student at Berkeley, I worked in the piano maintenance department. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, and I, I mostly worked on Fender Rhodes pianos, rebuilding the um, old prototypes that they had. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, putting in, they, the original Fender Rhodes pianos had felt hammers. Right. And, and the problem with those is that they would, because the tines were so thick and, and inflexible, it would groove the, the hammer so much. Oh. So they would damp the string. So it didn't really wasn't a good option. Hmm. So they started replacing the felt hammers with rubber tips. And those were much better. And that's, what other things did you learn doing keyboard maintenance? Well, I learned how to tune. I tuned roads. That was one of my jobs. I was a roads piano tech. I also rebuilt them. And that's I had awesome. the manual I created to. You know, that's a very cool <laughs> surprise to hear. And I started to learn about acoustic pianos, but I was getting to the point where I realized, I don't know, my body doesn't like sitting very long. Mm. Um, and um, I've always needed to move. Mm -hmm. and, um, maybe which is why I'm into a lot of movement now. Yeah. Good. I can't, you know, I watch piano tuners. I just can't, I can't sit for so long. But I learned, I learned a lot about the piano and all the. I can't I read, just, so I do it standing. <laughs> uh, well, even if you, I have a grand. So even if you're standing, you're like. Yeah, it's you know. the same thing. Yeah, it's the it's same, same thing. position for too long. Yeah. Right, exactly. Playing guitar too. You know, I've yeah. thought that guitarists should should balance their bodies out by taking their instrument, putting it on, on the other side. The opposite shoulder. That's yeah, why I wanted absolutely. to play drums. I wanted to open up a little bit, you know, because I'm always doing this. <laughs> right. And doing this, what often happens is you tighten up the left side of your body. Mm. It depends on how you play. But you but what you're doing is you're you're externally rotating the left shoulder and internally rotating the right. Mm -hmm. That's another conversation for another time. Let's well, yeah, I had, I had a masseuse notice that once I was on my stomach. She's rubbing my back and she said, Hey, uh, what's going on with your shoulders here? She said, Oh, you play guitar. You're right-handed. I said, yes. And she said, well, maybe we could fix that. How long have you been playing? <laughs> it's like, since I'm nine years old, she's like, forget it. We'll leave that alone. <laughs> you could play the other way. Just, yeah. I mean, it's going to, just to balance the muscles. Right. 
Piano is very balanced. The only problem with piano is the pedal. I have a little, I have a little bit of arthritis in my big toe of my, the ball of my right foot, and I think a lot of it is from the accelerator pedal in the car and the sustain pedal on the piano. Oh wow! And then it, it offsets your hips as well. So reaching for it. Yeah, this is constant repetitive motion. Yeah. So we address a lot of that in yoga. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to figure out sort of what's causing what. Yeah. Makes okay, sense. So one of the one of the things that happened to me in girl well, girls night out was a dream. It was a dream scenario. Mm-hmm. Our first gig was at a place called the In Square Men's Bar. I remember that name. Which was in um, Inman Square in Cambridge, and. Um, that was our first gig and <laughs> we were doing girl group music of the fifties and of the early sixties, you know, Supremes, um, Darlene's of, um, the Ronettes, the, the crystals, the chiffons, all this stuff. Oh, wow. That was a good idea. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I didn't really, I was a little young. I was the youngest one in the band. I, I didn't know some of the material. Mm. Some of it I did, you know, like stop in the name of love um, <laughs> to um, to some Aretha. Yeah, Petey can sing anything. Oh yeah, but we all we all there were four of us sang. Oh, that's amazing. Dee, Wendy, Dee Dee, and Sandy. We were the singers. Dee Dee was the main lead singer, and we our first gig we wore we wore sequin tops and mini skirts and fishnets, and so we were doing <laughs> like like the the mid sixties groove, you know. I had these all these like beetle boots. I ended up getting like down in New oh, York, cool. like purple and black and. <laughs> and did you yeah. ever, did, hmm? did, did you guys ever do that one? Won't you marry me, Bill? Yeah, I think we did. Love you so. Wedding bell blues. That's such a great song. Yeah. You can't hurry, love. No, you just got to wait. That was a good one. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. I mean, I could dig out an old, I've got, I've got a lot of stuff in my archives, um, set lists and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we played our first gig. We got a write-up, a full write-up in the Phoenix after our first gig. Nice. How many bands played for months and months without getting any write-ups? Right. Was our that... second gig was at the Tam O'Shanter in Brookline. Used to play there, yeah. Yeah. And there were lines down the street. Awesome. Because of the gig, because the paper. And we got written up in the Globe. Nice. And it was just one thing after another. It just went... Well, in a way, it was a novelty back then. What year was that? I mean, to have that many excellent musicians in a band that were actually women? Come on. 83. 83. There you go. Started. Yeah. That's when I heard about you guys. Yeah, it was. And I'd never been in a band that had had any notoriety before. I'd only done... When I, got, so when I got out of school, the first thing I did was I went to the Virgin Islands with a Latin rock funk band named called Fortuna Bay. And that was amazing. That was incredible. You know who Oscar, Oscar Stagnaro is, right? No. Well, he's a bass teacher at Berkeley. Okay. He's from Peru originally. He was like, he was the baby in the band. He was like 17 or 18. Oh, that's great. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he could play... He could play Latin music like No Tomorrow. Oh, he's, still, he's, he's amazing. Yeah. 
yeah, he was in the band and uh, who else that you might know of? Um, oh, I don't know. I don't think <laughs> else. But how long were you in the Virgin Islands? That's a beautiful place to be. One month in St. Croix and one month in St. Thomas. That's awesome. Yeah, it was my first steady gig. That's a great first thing. I got back and the band split up pretty soon after we got back. Our first gig back was Jack's in oh, Cambridge. I think I made $8. <laughs> it, was, it was like a prediction of things to come. <laughs> and the next gig we had got, we went down to the gig in the mail truck that the band had, M-A-I-L. I wanted to get one of those. And I remember sitting on like the engine or something on top of the engine directly. The guy who resold all the old mail trucks and rebuilt them and stuff wouldn't sell one to me because there was no heat. It's like, I'm not selling, selling this to you. Your father will kill me. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, we got down to the gig. I think it was in Connecticut and there was another band there. They had gotten double booked, so we didn't do the gig. Oh, jeez. That's like going to the gym and the gym is closed and you're like, oh, but I got to work out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this or paying a cab to take you over to a club because they said they wanted you to come do a live audition. And it turns out it was not even the owner that you were talking to. It was his father, who's a drunk, who sits in the corner and answers the phone. There you go. <laughs> right. We were planning to hire you anyway. That actually happened to me. <laughs> sure did. How could you make that up? <laughs> 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 okay. So, so Fortuna Bay kind of fizzled out, and then I started doing top forty stuff, you know, and different things. Um, and I did a few other things, a little traveling with a reggae kind of country thing. And I mean, right. life was all right. You could live on like two hundred and fifty dollars a week back then. Mm -hmm. You know, so money was good. If you made like $200 a week, that was pretty good. Oh, yeah. You know, it was. I just I found a gig list from my first band, or really my second or third band. We were 16 years old, and we were always doing private gigs, private parties and stuff. And there were like 16 gigs there, and we got paid more then than bands are getting paid now. Even when you do the, the inflation calculator thing, it was like, wow. We actually made money back then, gigging. Right. Well, you could just be, you could just play in bands and, and work like two, three nights a week. And I, I always, you know, it's funny because I always taught. When I was in junior high school, I was a math tutor. Oh, wow. I was giving guitar lessons. <laughs> I didn't decide to become a full-time musician until I was 18. Oh, wow. what was the deciding factor? Chick Corea. There you go. <laughs> no, I don't. That was one of my main inspirations. Okay. I don't know. I, I, joined, I, I, I didn't know anything about jazz, and I got in a jazz ensemble, and I thought this is pretty interesting. And I, like I said, I was listening to a lot of fusion music. Mm. I became friends with a keyboard player from a band called um, Larry Coriel's 11th House. Oh, yeah. And he's still a friend today, um, Mike Mandel. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and I would go out and see them all the time and see John McLaughlin and Frank Zappa and um, who else did I go see? Mm. Oh, I don't remember. Those were the main ones I remember seeing when I was a kid. Um, so you saw Chick Corea or you were in John an ensemble? Hammer, John Hammer. And 
Uh, oh, Chikorino, I heard the album Light as a Feather. Okay. remember all of the our, our ensembles when we were students were playing that <laughs> well i listened to that and i said i have to figure this out and that was oh, the first cool. time i really got in and did that i dropped the needle yeah and i was at home in my dad's house and it took me like three hours i didn't know anything about cut time i didn't understand because thanks to that first teacher that screwed me up no actually <laughs> <laughs> i, I kind of got it together after that but i didn't understand right now i didn't know how to break that down and write that out or figure that out so heard it's all you had to do was play it back i i was just i was taken you yeah. know smitten so then i one thing led to another you know and um so I kind of learned a little bit about jazz and I can sort of play jazz now, kind of. I don't consider myself a jazz musician because I don't dedicate. I feel yeah, that there's a certain dedication level required that I I don't have that, you know, stick to itness or sit to itness, sit for hours and I just, <laughs> I'm too, I'm too distracted maybe. Any, anyway, that's. Well, you got to do what gives you, what gives you goosebumps and if that, well, it does. To be able to do certain things does that. But yeah, certain riffs like that. Yeah. So GNO, we did this second gig. Then, like one thing after another happened. We just started getting booked all over the place. That's awesome. And it 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 spiraled in and to the point where we eventually had a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a road crew. Wow. We had roadies. Yeah, we had roadies and um. Nice. We had like a two or three man road crew. Um, and we we started doing showcases in New York at the bot we played at the bottom line in New York City. Fantastic. People came to see us. Um, I wish I had been more connected to the business side of things, but I wasn't. I was more interested in having fun. Well, what do you think you would have done differently? I think I might have just got a little more involved and a little more curious about what was happening in terms of negotiations with record companies. Oh, because we never got a deal. Were you doing originals at that point then? Not oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had more from just doing girl group stuff to doing Dee Dee's material. Dee Dee oh. was a prolific and still is a prolific songwriter. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she's just she wrote for the band um awesome yeah it was she had had a band called uh, Dee Dee Stewart and the Amplifiers prior to that they got signed by Kirshner Don Kirshner I believe oh cool unfortunately he went bankrupt I think right when her record was coming out so it was bad timing so nothing happened for her with that but you know everything's timing in the the business you know Mm -hmm. So we, um, yeah, we, we had, we had um, endorsements from um, Zodiac shoes. Oh, cool. <laughs> they gave us, they gave us all pairs of shoes um, so that we would be in there. So we would use their shoe box in um, one of our videos. <laughs> yeah. A video that was funded by Filene's. Oh, wow. 
one of our songs they they um yeah they paid to have a full you know feature you know concept video made <laughs> they, they sent us down to the cape and we we stayed there for three days filming wow. <laughs> so we had all kinds of stuff happening we played um we played some big shows we would go out to rochester new york and play the lilac festival every year that was really great wow it got to got to meet um Ronnie Spector, Martha Reeves. We've we sat in with Peter wow. Newt from Herman's Hermits and sang with him. Sure. Yeah, we, we went to Rochester. That's probably the furthest we ever traveled. We go up to Vermont and play in Killington and we'd go to New York and we played in New York. And you know, like I said, I was too busy having a good time to really sort of get in there and go, okay, so now, you know, like really examining other stuff. I signed a contract, you know, contracts. We had a lawyer. It was a whole thing. And I was just kind of in la-la land. I'm living the dream, you know. You were enjoying it. That was probably the best thing you could do. Well, yeah, I guess. But it didn't, nothing ever ended up happening. Well, what happened, first thing that happened. What? All those things happened. <laughs> All those things happened. And then I got sick. Oh. I had, I was in an accident. Actually, Didi and, well, Didi and Wendy were in the car with me. We were driving from a gig in Vermont and we were driving out to Western Mass on the Pike. And it was the first winter snowstorm. I think it was 1986. Yeah, it was. And we were driving out and it was the first snowstorm and it was slippery. And somebody, we were driving along and somebody was in the lane to the right of us all of a sudden turned the nose of their car towards the meridian and i i slammed on my brakes but i had to hit them because it was so sudden we were going like 50 miles an hour 40 maybe even less because it was slippery and because it was slippery we both slid i think it could have been really bad mm-hmm. could have been a serious head-on crash as it was i just my transmission cracked and my car didn't work but and we got jolted, but I think um, I got a little whiplash and some other things happened. We never made it to the gig in Western Mass, but oh. my low back started bothering me shortly after the accident, but I didn't pay any attention to it. I continued having a good time. And um, over the next like four or five months, I started developing severe sciatica and I had to stop playing for six months. Oh, I was in bed for three months. It was very sick. It was really bad. That's really painful stuff. It was. It was. It was. And the band had subs while I was out. And when I came back, I don't know if it was because I was out. I don't think. I think things were running their course. Mm. I think I played some more gigs, but things um, just. It fizzled out. I don't remember the actual circumstances. I was very busy healing. Mm-hmm. So that was that. What a great run, though. What a great band. And you're all great, still great musicians. It's just We're awesome. all still really good friends, too, which is awesome. Oh, that's really important. <laughs> and Miana plays with the Love Dogs. Oh, good. Play together a lot. And um, I play with Wendy and sandy and kathy we do all different 
little project with my Anna too. We do different all girl things and other stuff too. Awesome. And um, Cersei. Oh Cersei. yeah. Yeah. So she teaches at Berkeley too. She's got the best tone. <laughs> what a, yeah, what a, in her alto playing. Oh my God. Yeah, she's she played, she would play baritone sax and she's not a tall person. She played baritone sax in super high heels. Whoa. That was, I remember second. always looking over her going, Oh my God, I can't believe her. <laughs> Holding that up, you know, just the weight of that thing even. Yeah. Yeah. She's mighty. <laughs> mighty girl. Yeah. And she has twins. Wow. Well, they're she grown. They have family. That strength. <laughs> Just to hold the two babies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she didn't have kids when we were in the band. No. no. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, this has been great. I'm going to have to. Yeah, we should. Shove off. But this has been amazing, Laura. Yeah. This has been fun. Just Thank visiting. you so much. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's what it is, basically. It's just visiting, but there's so many more things I'd love to chat about, but um, love yeah. to do it again sometime. Another time. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, and you know, thank you for everything you do. And I, I, I want to come out to your Western Mass sanctuary sometime. <laughs> we'll have to do it. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Thank you so much, Allison. Yeah, thank you. Be well. Take care. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Allison. That was a blast. As always, we have a lot of laughs, and that was really fun. Everybody, check out Allison's music. She's got a great album called So What About You? Go hear the Love Dogs live or check them out on YouTube. Thanks, everybody. Visit LaurenPassarelli.com and join my mailing list. There's going to be some really cool guitar classes coming up soon. You might want to get involved on Zoom. El Pass Guitar on Instagram. You can follow me. We have videos of these chats on my YouTube channel. And I sincerely hope you've been finding these creative conversations inspiring. I have, and I've had a lot of fun. So go to your studio and make stuff. You